1: How you doing tonight? IB Nation Sports Talk up and rolling, and it's Vince's favorite night. It is mailbag night. Sound <laughs> right, man? Let's go
2: mailbag,
1: baby. Yes, listener, viewer questions, bring them on, and we'll try to answer them. I don't know about you, this is, but you've got even less going on than usual with Christmas break and all that. Kind of great. This has been a little bit of a lazy day. I actually did some manual labor outside for about an hour, but other than that, look at you—I've <laughs> I've vegetated for a lot today.
2: <laughs> so I was—I was on the one o'clock show, and uh, while I was on the show, I my son—I made him go out take down all the Christmas decorations so that he could go out tonight to the movies. So he put in the manual labor, but I have to put it all away because I don't trust his organizational skills. So mm-hmm. that that's the only manual labor that has occurred in our house as of today. So <laughs>
1: all right. Nothing wrong with that. I had some driveway work that I had to get Oh, yeah, today.
2: you were talking about that yep. the other day, filling and yeah. and pounding and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And it's it it warmed up enough. It's been in the 40s, but of course, you know, like as you know, it rained all day yesterday, so it's still kind right. of wet out there, but Well,
2: and it's today, it started out warm and sunny and it's just it's going downhill
1: nosedive yeah it's yeah. gonna start cooling off again here yeah because it's like ago. no 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 i'm not complaining
2: because it's gonna hover right around that 36 to 43 area I'm like okay i can deal with that in january because i mean how many times have we had snow days going out of christmas break <laughs> you know what i mean so i'm good with right where we are there's no snow on the ground we're good we're good
1: i'm with you I'm with you on that. I don't have to blow any snow right now. I got the holes out of my driveway. I'll see if my neighbor manages to make them reappear. (laughs) That's another story altogether. That is another story. Smash that like button if you would. Let's get started. Let's answer some questions tonight. Hit the like button, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate you. As always, we'll, uh, we'll see what we've got rolling in here right off the top. I haven't even read this. Let's just go with what John is asking. Given that Notre Dame held Ohio State to their lowest point total of the season, despite almost no help from the offense, isn't there reason to be very optimistic about the defense, even though kinks remain?
2: There's reason to be optimistic about the entire program when it comes to Ohio State and some of the big boys that are out there. I mean, you're right. Notre Dame played Ohio state about as close as anybody's played them with the exception of, you know, Michigan and with the exception of uh, the playoff game. Right. So, you know, Notre Dame's knocking on the door. They're not there. They're knocking on the door. There are reasons to be optimistic, obviously about the offense. I I think, you know, the Gator bowl version of this offense, If you put that up against Ohio state. I think there's a good chance that Notre Dame wins that game, you know, Uh, but the defensive side of things, I was happy with the defense, obviously, against Ohio State, no doubt about it. I mean, they made Ohio State's offense look pedestrian at times, no question. I question whether some of that was just Ohio State and not playing well. Also, Notre Dame forcing their hand an awful lot. I get all of that. I think it was a combination of the two, but that's how the game of football is played. There are more kinks on the defensive side than I
1: I don't think he's talking about just Ohio State, though. I think he's, if I'm reading just the question general, right, I think he's just saying the the defense in general. Should we be optimistic about the defense in general? Yeah,
2: I mean, the, the defense in general is fine, but there are still some, some pretty big holes that need to be filled that are in some pretty big question marks that we don't have answers to yet. But I think as a whole, yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with where the defense is at right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we talked, Jesse and I talked a lot about the defense in depth on last night's show, and one thing that we talked about is the fact that the defense held 11 of 13 opponents under its scoring average for the season. And that includes Ohio State. Now, I'm including South Carolina in there because again, two of the touch, you know, two of the touchdowns they scored came from defense. You take those away, you're all they're, they're already Below their average. And of course, they scored a special teams touchdown as well. So really the defense only gave up 17 of the points in that game, you know, which you know, again, it's like they were scoring, I think it was around 30. Hang on. I right. still have cheap from last night. There you go. But yeah, they were averaging 32.2 points per game, and defense gave up 17, but eleven of the 13 opponents below their average. To me, if if they have half. You know, cut in half the red zone scores because they they didn't allow. You know, the big conundrum is still like they didn't allow opponents into the red zone that often. They had a really good success rate of keeping opponents out of the red zone. It's just once they got into the yeah. red zone, it was almost automatic that they were going to get it into the end zone at that point. If you cut that in half, I mean, you're talking about a lights out defense that is. You know, like a top ten defense in the country in terms of, you know, scoring defense and that kind of stuff, and the fact that you return most of the secondary, you've got the entire linebacking crew with with young guys coming up, and I realize you know talking about linebackers is kind of a lightning rod, but you know, really, the biggest question is still what's going to happen up front. You know, especially from a depth standpoint with with the defensive line, there's some things to figure out there. But I'm pretty optimistic just based on one game that we saw from Jordan Patello and, you know, some other guys. But, you know, get some guys in the trench. I feel good about the defense. I feel really good about the defense. And and I think that having a year, you know, with all these guys, all this experience, a year under their belt in the system, going into the spring, I definitely think that, you know, some of the kinks maybe that we saw throughout the course of the year can be ironed out next year because they're going to have a ton of experience coming back.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the defensive side of the ball. I, I would say the biggest question mark is the defensive line, and that's for a multitude of reasons. They graduated the all-time sack leader. They graduated Jason Adamalola, who is a high-end defensive line product for Notre Dame. And we don't know if Justin Adamalola is coming back. We've We've seen some spurts from some younger guys, but then you also have to look at the coaching situation on the defensive line as well. It was subpar. And we, you know, again, that's a lightning rod as well for for a lot of fans when it comes to the track record of Al Washington, both on the recruiting trail and the coaching. Mm-hmm. So that is gonna have to be addressed in some form or fashion, whether it's a, a conversation, you know, between the head coach and the position coach, whether it's hitting the transfer portal for some guys that are out there, then there and there are some definite possibilities that are out there right now that Notre Dame should definitely make a run at. I,
1: but I tell it, you what,
2: yeah, go for I it. I like
1: this Brennan Vernon kid. Like everything that I'm seeing, oh, Brennan, yeah. and I saw you know like some stuff of him yesterday, and I I don't know who said it on, but like he looks like he could be one of the like another Bosa brother. <laughs> you know, it's like that's he's built like that. He looks like that. You know, like he's he's gonna bring something to this defensive line. But yeah, I mean, you really you need some kind of veteran help. You need to go out and sure. find something,
2: right? Nothing UFC. crazy. You don't have to go yeah. out and get a bunch of guys, but you need at least one. You need at least one difference maker. I think on the defensive line from the transfer portal, and you're going to need some young guys to step up, which is what you always need when you're in college football. I mean, there's no, you cannot look at the transfer portal as the be all end all for filling gaps. At some point, the guys that you're recruiting in have to be able to step up and become contributors. I mean, you know, whether it's Gabriel Rubio, whether it's, you know, Osafa Mensah, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of different guys that if the recruiting classes are what they say they were, then they're going to have to step up and fill some holes. I mean, that's, that's how college football works. I, just,
1: I don't see like Joe is saying only if Golden isn't the D coordinator. I don't get why everyone is so down. Like, what what is the goal in football? To score points, right? What is the goal of the defense? To keep the other team from scoring points. And again, 21, 26, 17, 32. The 32 to North Carolina. These are the points that they gave up. 20, 16, 21, 24, 14, 32 to Navy, 0, 38 to USC, 38. Again, really, I, I count it as 17 To South Carolina. I mean, yes, there were some issues, but I don't see, like, the, the only red flag I see is the red zone stuff. Other than that, I feel really confident about, you know, the stuff that you're talking about with the defensive line, that's there as well. Here's what I wonder about the defensive line, and I brought this up with Jesse last night. Mike Elston had such an eye for what he was looking for with, you know, some of these You know, kind of below the radar, you know, diamond in the rough type guys. And I was talking about how when I was, you know, doing baseball when Paul Maneri was here, he brought in a lot of diamond in the rough type guys as well. And he would tell these guys, here's what I see for you. You know, like even though other programs might not be seeing this, like, here's what I see you doing when you get here. And then as soon as Maneri left, like some of those kind of guys, the new coaching staff was like, That's not what I see for you. So what I wonder is like the vision that that Mike Elston had, you know, like like Al Washington maybe doesn't see the same thing in some of these guys. And so we haven't sort of seen the translation yet because Al Washington, you know, this this is basically what's going to be coming in here this year is going to be his first recruiting cycle. Like, you know, get a few more of his guys in here. You still have to be able to coach guys up. Right. And like you, like, I, I think people, there, there, are some people like who see Isaiah Fosky's season as, you know, like a disappointment, even though the guy went out and had 11 sacks this season, oh, you know, it was, think,
2: though, at times, cause there was times where he completely disappeared.
1: Right. Right. But when so, you I look mean, at the balance of the season, you know, he still had 11 sacks and he leaves right. as the program's all time sacks leader as a result. I mean, I, I get what you're talking about. There's still room for improvement, but again, like, it's just, it's it's a different eye. And so I, I guess my point is, you know, you can look at it on the one hand and say, well, Isaiah Foskey didn't have as, as great a year as we thought we were going to have. But like even Mike Elston, you know, like we saw the talent with Isaiah Foskey early on and it took a while for Isaiah to get out there and and really produce. And again, he turns into the all-time sax leader. So, you know, again, like making all these judgments Based on one season, I think it's a little bit early because guys are still, you know, sort of figuring out who they are and, and what they envision for their position groups and those kind of things. Even Harry Heastan's group took some time to develop.
2: Right. But th- but then they were arguably the best position group on the field in the final game of the season, too. And maybe the second right. half of the season, you know. And I think, you know, I'm gonna play some devil's advocate here when it comes to Al Golden. I mean, yes the be all end all is point scored. I get that. But I would also say that halftime adjustments were average at best throughout the season on the defensive side of the bowl. I will also say that the linebacking core regressed from last year. I don't think they were as good as they were last year.
1: You know, everyone wants to hold everyone to the fire. I mean, get away with what, You, you know, again, the track record says it was a good defense, with the exception of red zone. It was a good defense. It was a so good, assuming. it wasn't
2: a great defense. I mean, 39th in the country in scoring defense isn't good enough.
1: Good enough for what? It was good enough.
2: Good enough to win a <laughs> championship. That's what they ended the line. 16
1: points going. against Stanford was good enough, right? But the offense didn't score. Okay, so that's fine, so like, where, where are make we assessing blame? Defense, where are you know? we assessing blame? I guess, you know, why, why is all the blame going to Al Golden? In I'm the not defense? giving
2: all the blame to Al Golden, but I'm giving some of the blame. He is the defensive coordinator. I mean, right? his linebackers underachieved, agree or disagree.
1: For the most part.
2: So that was a problem for me. I, I think, play that, was I think it
1: kind of like, you know, Mike Bray and, and Brian Kelly, there's definitely an over-reliance, over-dependence on being a veteran and that kind of thing. But at the sure. same time, we saw Prince Kali and Jalen Sneed in the Gator Bowl. We saw them more extended than we got to see them at any point right. this season. And it's sure. like, okay, now you know what they still have to work on. Now you know why. Absolutely. But if you got First them in for 10 to
2: 15 out, plays throughout the season, they don't have those mistakes in the Gator Bowl.
1: Would you have put – an inexperienced kid like that in your lineup on a daily basis, if you're trying to win games,
2: I would find places for them. Yes. If they, right. if my, if my starters situational perform, places, like right. whatever, but they didn't even do that. Strength. But they didn't even do that. Let's see. Right. So there's, so that's my issue. I'm not saying that they should have started all the young kids and thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Sure. I'm saying if you would have had him in there for five to 10 defensive snaps per game on average throughout the season, then you can slowly work that up and you don't have the mistakes that you had in the Gator Bowl. That's right. all I'm saying. Right. That's all I'm saying.
1: See, like John is saying, the offense was far worse than the defense, especially in the first six games. Yeah, I mean, if the offense was more consistent, they're a 10-win team this year. That's fair. Like, you should have beaten Stanford. There's a win right there. You obviously should have beaten Marshall. There's a win right there. Well, you know, the again, loss to
2: Marshall was a, had a lot to do with the defense, though, too.
1: At the end, but they still, couldn't
2: stop Marshall from running the football.
1: Well, a I mean, couple couple big runs. It wasn't they couldn't just, stop
2: Marshall from running the football, which is a
1: bad. couple big runs. A couple I mean, big runs. It wasn't consistent. Right?
2: That was that was a very one sided defensive game plan against Marshall.
1: But you also you also gave up twenty six points, which is not a huge number by any means that's that's still like a number you can win a football game give it up 26 points
2: sure I, I give you that <laughs> I give you that I mean and you can you can bang the offense all, all you know the, everybody can bang the offense all they want that's fine they also lost their starting quarterback and had a backup quarterback the majority of the season so you know they're they're, they're pl- you can make excuses for whatever you want you can make stats say whatever you want them to the bottom line is I think. There was a lot of underachieving that occurred during this football season on both sides of the football and from a lot of coaches at times, you know, so everybody needs to get better. I'm not looking to fire anybody. I have no problem riding this entire coaching staff into next season. Right. No problem whatsoever. So I'm not advocating getting rid of anybody. I think, I think you ride every single one of them. <clears throat> now you have discussions with some of them about what we want to do and how things can look a little bit different and all of those things. But I'm not firing anybody. Like, not, not, nothing that happened this year was a fireable offense. Right. So.
1: Yeah. And, again, I'm just – Al Washington and Mike Elston are two different coaches. We all know Mike Elston is Completely an excellent different. defensive line coach. And, sure. again – he could see things in guys that maybe other guys don't see. I'm not saying that that forgives whatever underdevelopment Al Washington had, because it was a question for me, because the guy didn't coach defensive line. You know, he has nowhere near the defensive line experience that a guy like Mike Elston has. But what I'm saying is maybe give it a little bit of time, because now, again, you've got a full offseason, his first recruiting cycle, the recruiting part
2: is more disturbing than the actual coaching part to me. Right. I will say that. that, that right. The recruiting part. Especially is,
1: for uh, a head coach who, you know. Big time. Hangs the hat on recruiting. The, that's right.
2: I mean, from a defensive line standpoint. Like, right. He was but handed. what I'm
1: saying is the standard that Marcus Freeman laid out sure. for everybody is you better be. Right.
2: Okay. Yes, yes, yes. He was handed the best defensive line recruiting class in the country. And he let that get away from him. Yeah. You know, that's. And there are outside you know, influences and all that, but he, he let it get away from him. So he's got a lot to prove to me on the recruiting side of things as well.
1: Right. Here's a good question. Um, CJ Williams just Mm -hmm. uh, decided he's going to enter the transfer portal, the the USC wide receiver guy who got away from Notre Dame last year. So DJ says mixed opinions on the board about CJ Williams. Do you guys think Notre Dame should pursue him again?
2: I'll let you answer this one first because I, Brian and I discussed this in the earlier show. Okay. Uh, so, and I
1: have no idea what you guys said. Right. So my opinion is
2: kind of out there, but I will let you kind of take first crack at this and then I'll kind of rehash <laughs> what I had to say.
1: I'm saying no for two reasons because as talented as the guy is, one, you know, it's like not quite as dramatic as Peyton Bowen, but the guy obviously went back and forth and then ended up going somewhere else, you know, so you, You've got that. So after one season, he decides that in that air raid, you know, system that Lincoln Riley has, you know, that's not good enough for him now. So now he wants to bolt. So who's to say he's not going to spend a year at, at Notre Dame and then bolt? And you still have the the whole undergrad thing, you know, that that you've got to solve, you know, exactly, you know, what, what that would look like in terms of trying to get an undergrad in. Might not be as hard after just one year because you're dealing with a lot of prereqs and stuff like that. I don't know. Right.
2: I think there there was actually a post on the board that that Brian put out, and I agree with it. You know, he's been he's been in college for two semesters, right? Maybe even one semester. I'm not sure if he was an early enrollee, but those will transfer over. It 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 is the classes specific for major into
1: your major. Yeah.
2: that's a problem so right after one year I think you got a better shot of getting a kid into Notre Dame because those classes are all the same across the board you know it's 101s and you know that kind of stuff so that actually I think getting him in I don't think would be a huge issue at this point but I didn't mean to interrupt you
1: no I mean that's that's pretty much my point that would be you know, I don't. I don't know what else to add to that. That you know, because I didn't really follow his recruitment that closely sure, last year, other that. than knowing that he was committed and then decommitted and then ultimately went to USC.
2: So my thing, and I agree with Brian on this one, I am not. If I'm if I'm Marcus Freeman, I am not actively recruiting C.J. Williams. If he comes to me and tells me that he's interested in coming back, and he and I have a conversation about commitments and what that means, what it looks like, what it looks like to be a part of Notre Dame, you know, all of those different, like, it's going to be a legit conversation with this kid about what it means to come to Notre Dame. Then I would have him back on the team or have, you know, but we're not doing the I'm committing, I'm decommit. We're not doing that nonsense. Like it's, it's, you're all in or you're all out. You know, we got through this year without you. We'll get through the rest of the years without you. You know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. His stats were like four catches for 35 yards this year. Like, you need to commit to us, and we will commit to you back. And I'm all about second chances, but you're going to have to prove to me that this is a legit situation for you and that you are actually interested in Notre Dame as your landing spot. Because if this is just I'm trying to raise my profile by saying Notre Dame's interested in me, that's not going to work. Yeah. You know, that's not going to work. You have to that. You gotta come to me. I'm not chasing after you. We're not doing that. You got to come to me.
1: I concur. Speaking of wide receivers, here it is from Salty. True or false, in the upcoming season, at least three members of the 2023 recruiting class will start as wide receivers. He says he's not counting the great one three times.
2: so three different players will start at wide receiver sometime next year as a true freshman Uh, that's a false for me
3: yeah I I don't
2: I don't see that being the case number one you know look at the receivers that Notre Dame has already you know in the mix they're all sophomores for the most part right they're all true sophomores and you've got Caleb Smith I believe is the kid's name who's coming over from Virginia Tech there's a chance he's going to get a start or two, I would imagine. I mean, he's a veteran. He's, You know, you brought him in for a reason. And then you just go down the list of the guys who I think are going to start over any of the true freshmen, at least for quite a while. You know, Deion Colsey. You've got uh, Jaden Thomas. Jaden Thomas. You know, you've Tobias. got Tobias Merriweather. You know, that's four guys right there. And if you throw in Smith, right, that's four guys right there for three spots. So I do not see three separate freshmen starting. Maybe one gets a start here or there, depending on a, a package or a look that they have. I do not see three guys leapfrogging the guys that are currently on the roster.
1: Yeah, I would tend to agree. And just the history that Notre Dame has with wide receivers, and we were talking about Tobias the other day. Now, Tobias Merrowether may have very well ended up starting, you know, three games or whatever down the stretch if it hadn't been yeah. for the concussion. But sure. that ultimately. Didn't happen, but that's still one guy at the end of the end of the season. So, you know, unless that group comes along and you know, injuries, right. I guess you never know. But I just sure. I still it's it's a talented group, but just given the standard that they continue to have at at what's going to get a guy on the field at, at wide receiver and then asking, is he going to start? I just don't see it for three of them. You're yeah. probably going to be lucky if even two of them end up starting next year.
2: And I mean, if we're being honest, three true freshmen, even getting legitimate rotation time, I, I think is a stretch. I mean, just based on everything that we've seen and, and been a part of, I mean, how, how many times we see hashtag free Tobias, you know, and, and he, it was just one freshman. We're really going to see three even get meaningful. I'm talking meaningful rotation time when the, Game is on the line, not in garbage time or, you know, that kind of a thing. But three separate freshmen, even getting solid rotation time, I think is a bit of a stretch.
1: Yeah, I agree. Joe asked you guys, why do you guys think some fans seem to be apprehensive about letting young talent develop? It gets irritating constantly hearing about going into the transfer portal for things other than depth.
2: Agreed. I, it frustrates me too, because that's one of the things that I enjoy about coaching high school. And one of the things I enjoy about following a college team is that it's about development. One of the things we talked about with Marcus Freeman is one of the, we don't know if Marcus Freeman's going to be a good developer of talent. And if you're not a good developer of talent, you're not going to win in college football. You have to be able to develop. You can't just go to the transfer portal, especially at Notre Dame to fill holes from a lack of development that is a quick fix that i don't think is sustainable mm-hmm. and i it, it's very frustrating that everybody has their eyes to the portal and they think that's the answer that's not the answer you know it was the answer to get usc to be competitive didn't win them a national championship no got but him, it's helped it it's helped
1: to though too They, you know they brought that's in some true. transfers no, that, as well ab-
2: absolutely accurate But I don't think that that's a sustainable thing. That might get you one year, which maybe that's all people want. Maybe they want one every 30 years. But that's not going to get you a sustainable run, a dynasty run, if you will. It's not going to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that what happens, you know, to answer the question about why people are apprehensive, is you get caught up with the star ratings. Absolutely. And how talented and how great these guys are supposed to be. And then you assume that they should just be able to walk in the door and hit the ground running. But everyone, both mentally and physically, develops at different rates. Like Jesse was here yesterday when we were talking about the defense. And he talked about when he showed up, it, when they had their first defensive meeting. And they're doing installs his freshman year. And, you know, this is like a straight-A student. You know, Dean's List in college and, and the whole thing. And he, he talked about just being overwhelmed by yeah. the by how different things are when you're playing at the college level versus the high school level when so much especially for these kind of guys who have as much talent as they have so much of it is simply about being the best player on their team and on any you know on the field on any given friday night that's what so much of it comes down to now i'm not, i'm not saying they're not hard workers or any of that kind right. of stuff but there's just so much more from the mental side that has to be processed when you get to college that people don't think about and you know again like as great an athlete as Jalen sneed is you know he he totally blew a coverage against the tight end you know in 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 the gator bowl on a simple sure man-to-man coverage thing because he bit on a play fake in the backfield and then you know the guy takes it what 20 25 yards downfield the other way they're just they're, they're little things that sure. we also had two
2: 15 yard penalties
1: right which right which again honestly, i know the second well, well, one you know
2: he tried to fight a guy because he was getting laid on i mean and i get that I mean, whatever but those right. are both both of those penalties are number one it's like the maturity yeah. slash experience penalties that's what both of those are yeah so you know that I, yeah i'll just leave it at that
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so we were talking about the defense and the linebackers and everything else. Brian wants to know who do we blame, who or what is to blame for the poor linebacker play throughout the season outside of number ten Prince. Which linebackers showed promise for next year?
2: Well, we just talked about one, right? Jalen Snead showed plenty of promise for next year. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it, the the young linebacking core. I mean, uh, Junior Tui Alamaka got a ton of playing time in the Gator Bowl, and I thought he did fine. He He, uh, I don't know if he got credited with any hurries, but he was definitely in the backfield making Spencer Rattler think twice about going to his side. So I don't know that he stays at Viper. Maybe he rotates back to linebacker. I don't know what his future is, but I still consider him a linebacker. So, I mean, those three guys right there show plenty of promise for next year. There's a lot of youth and a lot of talent in the linebacker room. So I'm not worried about that part of it. Who or what do you blame for the linebacker play? I mean, you got to start with coaching, I guess. I mean, yeah, but... I mean
1: you've you've got to put it on their position coach for yeah. because there was a regression, even with J.D. Bertrand. And again, yeah, you know, like with Al Golden's system, and I think that what was a more complex system. It, one, it was the third system that that guys like Bertrand Good and LeFau and you know and Kaiser have played in in the last three. Good you know, point. for any veteran their third defense in the last three years. And this one seems like it was more complex than any of the the defense, you Correct. know, the, the previous two defenses. And I think that I've got, you know, because we, we talked early on, you know, like as Al Gold, you know, they're like, there's too much scheme and not, you know, just letting these guys play and some of that kind of stuff. So I think that there was a lot of that because not all, but at least some of the linebacker play got cleaned up as the season went on. And I, I think it had to do with just, you know, the processing of information and getting more comfortable with it, especially like for a guy like J.D. Bertrand, who had over 100 tackles last year, still ended up leading the team in tackles. So I think, you know, that had some of it to do with it. You know, like you look at a guy like Maris Leofau, who in training camp last year, now again, you know, it's training camp, different system, Marcus Freeman, all those things. He looked like a different guy before the injury, but like we, we definitely saw some inconsistencies from him that you thought would have been cleaned up by, you know, by where he is. And I I think that like, if you look at all of the linebackers, he's probably the one that frustrates more people than not.
2: I get that. I mean, that's yeah, no, I I get that completely. It's, it's a combination of a few things. I mean, it's coaching. It is, we we talked about the fact that maybe there's just too many voices in the linebacker room from a coaching standpoint, you got Al Golden, You've got potentially Marcus Freeman, who used to be their position coach, and you've got James Laurinaitis. That's a lot. It's a lot of voices, right? And we talked about how maybe in the past there were too many voices in the quarterback ear, you know, with Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese, and just a lot of stuff in in the ear, right? Well, that, you know, there's something to be said. That's a possibility at the line lineback- in the linebacker room too. When you add a complex scheme to that as well, you're probably not going to be all that successful as a group. And so I I think that there's some validity to that. And I think just an overall across the board, some simplification, less voices, less scheme. Let these guys play. There's no doubt that there's talent in that room. Let these guys play. And I think they're going to be just fine. You saw them just play in the second half. It's a lot less scheme in the second half and a lot more just play in the second half. I don't think anybody's going to argue the fact that the defense was better in the second half than they were in the first half of the Gator Bowl is what I'm referring to.
1: Right. David Jones, should Notre Dame go after Anthony Lucas?
2: I would say that it's the exact same comment that I have about C.J. Williams, but a little bit different because Anthony Lucas was never committed to Notre Dame. So he chose to go someplace else. His priorities changed where Notre Dame was the front runner for a long time. And then NIL got involved and bags of money and all of that. And I don't even think Notre Dame, according to Brian, was even second when it all came down to it. So if I'm Notre Dame staff, I'm reaching out to Anthony Lucas to find out if his priorities have changed. If they haven't, then he's probably not going to be a good fit at Notre Dame. And he probably doesn't want to come to Notre Dame anyway. So I would reach out to Anthony Lucas because he was never committed to Notre Dame. They did a great job of recruiting him in the first place. So I'm definitely reaching out there. It's the same situation from a credit standpoint. He's only a freshman. So I don't think that would be an issue, but you know, if his priorities have changed, then he could be a good fit at Notre Dame. If not, then you just let that one go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't have much more to add to that. (laughs) You know, there's, there's most likely going to be a handful of, of those kind of guys who are going to pop up and, yeah. They're at least worth exploring if, you know, if they're at the right position and, you know, you think that they're, they're talented enough to, to do, you know, to meet the needs that you have, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Where did it go? This one was interesting to me from Sean Stewart. Which offensive lineman, whether it be on the roster or coming in, which one could potentially be a big Q, of course, Quentin Nelson type, and make them accountable?
2: Oh, so this is more of a leadership question than it is a, like the next Quentin Nelson, because that person doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Quentin Nelson is in a league of his own as far as talent is concerned. So I'm glad that wasn't the question because it'd be a very, very short answer. Uh, as far as from a leadership standpoint, it's a good question. I, because I know Brian tells the story all the time about how Quentin Nelson would hold people accountable, you know, and if you don't want to do it this way, then we don't need you around kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's important. You know, I don't know if, for example, it seems like Joe Alt's a little less, uh, outspoken. So I don't know that it would be him. And I don't really know enough about the younger guys that aren't playing yeah, yet. I mean, see, is not an outspoken guy. I don't believe Fisher's an outspoken guy like that, you know. So that's that's going to be tough uh, for me to come up with somebody because I'm just not familiar with the personalities of a lot of the guys that haven't played yet either.
1: Yeah, and you really don't get to know them until they start playing and you get to, you know, we get to start talking to them and you, you hear some of the things that they talk about, like just like Spindler seems to have that kind of personality to him, but, you know, we, we haven't seen him again in a position, you know, this is going to be a big spring and a big fall for Mm -hmm. Rocco Spindler. There's a couple opportunities there on the line. And, you know, you've, you've probably got what, at least three guys in competition for, you know, like you got Christophic, you got Shroud, you got Spindler, you know, so there's a lot of bodies. A lot of depth on that offensive line, that's for sure. There's no like doubt. one There's a lot position of talent that there. does not lack depth. Yeah, there yeah. is a lot of talent. A lot of there.
2: talent there, and I'm I'm not worried about what the offensive line is going to look like. I'm not because the great equalizer in this whole thing, if you want to talk about holding people accountable, well, his name's Harry hestan He's going to hold everybody just as accountable as they need to be. But yeah. you also need somebody. I agree that you also need a player leader to be doing that as well. I'm just not sure who that is. So. I, you know what? Bring that question back on Friday when Brian's in here because he knows some of these younger guys from a recruiting standpoint better than I do. He might be able to answer that a little bit better than we can.
1: Yeah, good call. Good call. Rock. some head coaches take and coach a positional group. Did Marcus Freeman coach a positional group this year? If not, could Freeman take the linebacker core?
2: I mean, he's a head coach. He's not going to coach a position group. There's not a lot of head coaches outside of, like, the division lower divisions that coach a a position group that's not that's just not realistic uh from a time constraint usually standpoint. It's, it's
1: like when brian kelly would coach the quarterbacks or you know like right. Lincoln and riley you know those kind of things it's like yeah. it's usually the offensive guru type guy who's who's coaching and it's a, a, a quarterback
2: group. that's one dude like yeah. yes there's more than one in the room but linebacker coach there's three starters let alone all of the depth that is in there. That would be a big ask at a place like Notre Dame for the head coach to coach the linebackers. I, I don't see that happening. No, he did not coach them this year. I'm sure he was in and out of the room, but he was more in and out of the offensive rooms, learning the offensive side of things than he was the defensive side. There's a reason he brought out Golden in, so he didn't have to worry about it. Uh, so I, I do not see Marcus Freeman coaching a position group anytime soon no but i see where you're coming from i think it's a good question you know i mean high school the head coach has a position group i bet you at small colleges the head coach has a position group but not in major college football and
1: he didn't get into you know like this year he was more focused on he has to be all over the place becoming a head coach he couldn't he couldn't dedicate himself to one position now you know i've seen some comments about the Gator Bowl. It did look like he was more actively, you know, sure. poaching up defensive players during the Gator Bowl than at any point that we've seen him this season, at least where the cameras were on him. Anyway, you know, so sure. um I, I think, especially in the spring, you know, maybe he can, you know, if he feels like that's an area where he can get in there a little bit more. But I, I would, I would not see him taking over a position group. I get what you're saying because that obviously is where he comes from. I don't think so either. I don't think it's going to happen.
2: Yeah, and I and uh, I want to look this up because I don't want to be wrong when I say this. So I'm kind of in the in the process of looking this up. Somebody put in the chat that Nick Saban coaches a position group. He does and he doesn't, if I'm not mistaken. Does he work with the corners? Yes. But I'm pretty sure he's got a corners coach. He's He's got, yeah, tra- uh, Tavarius Robinson is the cornerback coach. So, and then Charles Kelly is the safeties coach. So, I mean, there's coaches that coach those groups. He may swoop in and help out here and there, but he does not coach the position. So, I I wanted to be clear on that before I said that. But, yeah, Yeah. he, he does not coach the defensive backs.
1: John, playing a playoff game in South Bend seems like something Notre Dame should win every time when was the last time a major college bowl game was played outdoors in a cold weather climate only ones i can remember like i I remember there's been snow at the independence bowl before you know whether or not you consider that you know a major college bowl you know most of these bowl games are played in domes these days (laughs) you know just like
2: because there's always one in detroit but that's in a dome and yeah
1: but i mean like you know the cotton cotton bowl and 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 the peach bowl Bowl are both in domes the sugar bowl is in a dome they're going to play the national championship game in a dome obviously the orange bowl is still outside but yeah the rose bowl is outside you're not going to get cold weather in either one of those places so yeah it's like the independence bowl is the only one you know some of those you know kind of like southern states you know where from time to time you know you get some crazy weather and stuff like that. That's, that's all like, yeah. you know, the bigger ones. Not remember,
2: there. remember when uh, Notre Dame went to El Paso and it's, Oh, snowed that's right. The day Good one. Good remember one. that? And they were playing Miami. Yeah. That, like that game was over before it started. <laughs> it's yeah. like Miami came out all bundled up and the, yeah, right. that, that game was over before it started. I can't
1: remember the what the sun name bowl. That bowl, the sun the bowl. bowl. Yeah. yeah.
2: Not enough sun out for the Miami <laughs> hurricane. No,
1: no, not at all. <laughs> John had another question. If Notre Dame had a national superstar again like Brady Quinn was, what do you think he'd make in NIL deals at Notre Dame?
2: Uh, set north of seven figures. I yeah. mean, there's no doubt about it. I I don't know the numbers like Brian and Sean uh, Davis do as far as what the guys were making this year. Number one, I know Isaiah Foskey and Michael Mayer made some coin. Like, they were not hurting for money. I mean, Isaiah Foskey had his own clothing line, okay? So, I know that both of them were doing just fine when it comes to NIL deals. If you have a front-running quarterback and you have the power of Notre Dame's brand behind them, you're talking multi-million dollars. Yeah. it's no doubt about it. None whatsoever. So...
1: Easy seven figures. Yep.
2: Easy. And if you're talking about a guy like Brady Quinn... But who's obviously not hard on the eyes as far as the ladies are concerned and he was very well spoken i mean he would have made some bank
1: you know what surprises me and i was thinking about this you've probably seen the commercials i don't even know if you know who she is there's like a blonde gymnast from lsu her name is libby something and okay. she does like every once in a while she'll pop up on tv she's doing like a a commercial for like these sweatpants or or something okay. like that they're like really comfortable sweatpants but i'm surprised especially since we're in the thick of the playoffs and and stuff like that that you had that we haven't seen like bigger name you know football players and stuff like that doing some of these national you know campaign you know ad campaigns and stuff like yeah. that with nil it's still like you know She's a gymnast and, you know, she's got like the whole Instagram following and, you You know, that's that's where her fame came from. And like, oh, yeah, I was down in Miami last week and there are these twins at Miami who started off their career at Fresno State. They're just like this. You know, they're like Instagram.
2: You're talking about.
1: Yeah. They're Instagram stars and all this stuff. And they're down there at Miami. Now, the Cavender twins, that's their name. And, you know, so like that's where like. The, you know, like the biggest, the ones that we know about for the most part are like these, these uh, social media followings and Instagram stars and stuff like that.
2: Well, who, which uh, influencers, I guess. Is it Stroud or is it uh, Bryce Young who's on the Dr. Pepper commercials? Right. That's uh, I haven't
1: even noticed that.
2: Remember, uh, it's the he's on Fansville and the the kid comes home. He's been replaced by I, I think it's I think it's Bryce Young uh but i'm not 100 percent sure but either way i haven't seen a whole lot of yeah there you go everybody's helping me out there everybody's in the saying
1: young yeah so
2: he's really the only one that i've seen on a national commercial that i can remember off the top of my head the other stuff is just a little bit more light as far as that stuff is concerned and and again brady quinn was kind of the best of all the worlds he would have had a big instagram following he would have had you know what i mean Like yeah. He just had that look about him, which was definitely beneficial. And then he was also a really good football player at Notre Dame. I he was on all kinds of magazine covers and all that stuff. So my wife
1: stood next to him in line at a subway once, and I think I heard about it for a month. Exactly.
2: I he he uh showed up at what you know, one of the summer camps, and we were out there doing my summer job. And all the girls that were working at the time, they're like, We gotta get our picture taken, you know, like (laughs) It is what it is, man. Like he would have made a lot yep. of money as a student.
1: Yep. Chiseled John. And like he was, you know, big into the, he was the workout guy. So like there would have been some supplement company who would have been throwing all kinds of money at him.
2: Absolutely. Right.
1: And he probably would have been doing subway ads for that matter. No doubt about it. Um, Eric wants to know, do you think Hartman will end up with big deals?
2: I think he's going to end up with some deals. I mean, right now he's considered a third-day pick in the NFL draft, and those guys aren't making a bunch of money. He's got a bigger opportunity to make money at Notre Dame than he does as a third-day pick in the NFL draft. So mm-hmm. depends on what your definition of a big deal is. To me, any deal is a big deal. So I would say he has a much better opportunity to score NIL deals at Notre Dame than he did at Wake Forest. Yep. So,
1: yeah. No doubt. Absolutely. I mean, he's got a better opportunity to score NIL deals than basically 95% of the ACC, for that matter. You know, right. Notre Dame is going to raise his profile. You know, Clemson and maybe Florida State, you know, right. Like Carter Carl's, you know, like if he was still in college, he'd have a Cheese It deal. Just saying. (laughs) Just saying. Brock with a super chat. We appreciate it, Brock. Brock. No, no question from Brock, but appreciate I you throwing it. that our way. Stymie apologizing for bringing up the basketball program. Didn't realize it was going to be an intramural squad this year, and it is just—it's rough. It is horrendous, man. I didn't even watch I the, the game, last game last night. Last night. I Ugh. didn't even
2: watch it, and I—I I saw that they were ahead with like four minutes to go, and then they ended up losing by almost ten. Like I did, something happened towards the end. that did not end well for the the Notre Dame men. That's for PC
1: sure. closed seventeen to four. Notre Dame there led virtually. Throughout the game, BC closed seventeen to four. Just another patented offensive implosion for that team. And the fact that they are zero and four in the ACC right now is just, yeah, it's unthinkable. With... <laughs> not it, wrong. It, it Mike Bray has been here for two decades and since day one. Got to be old, you know. Got to be men, you know. All these different things. They are old, but sorry, they're not playing like grown men no no
2: when they're leaning on a lot of young guys too and because yeah. the old guys aren't really That's where toeing, the they're is. not towing the line I mean yeah. let's be honest so yeah it's uh it's not good and they just you know I've, I've been to a few games and it just it just feels like they're not even all that competitive which is disturbing to me i know if I'm if I'm being honest I I had a lot more hopes about this this squad before the season
1: starts. I don't know why you come back for a fifth year if you're not going to play with more heart than what they're playing. Yeah. With, no. Good call. But That's honestly. a
2: good way to put it.
1: It's a good way That's to put it. That's what troubles me the most. Jeremy wants to know where's Notre Dame in regards to scholarship numbers for next year as of right now. Do you know what the number is right now?
2: I actually do because I read an article on Irishbreakdown.com which I just put in the chat uh as a link for everybody. But as of right now, I believe they are sitting at 88 scholarships, but that obviously does not take into account the guy. Oh, 89, excuse me, they're at 89 scholarships. That's actually changed since the last time I looked at this article uh, because of transfers and all of those different things. So they're right in the wheelhouse of where they need to be because I think there's going to be some guys that are going to be moving on, uh, you know, whether it's... Forced or otherwise, or NFL draft, or however you want to put it, there's going to be some guys moving and or bringing I'm in not... more
1: transfers, and, and yeah. both. It's it's yeah. going to
2: be two way street. There's going and to be I some do flux. Yeah. I do not think that they will be at 85 in the spring, but I think by the time they get to August, they're not going to have any problem getting to 85.
1: I concur. I concur. And that's 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 what you have to remember. Like you know, everyone like sweats it right now, but there's going right. to be another. We would expect. Maybe a few transfers being announced here within the next week or two, potentially, and or at the end of the spring as well. But you also don't have to be down to the limit until the season actually gets going. So they've got some yeah. time.
2: Yep.
1: Another basketball question. Oh, we are not Marshall. What does Mike Bray one. have such a hard time having more than six healthy bodies on any given year?
2: It's not healthy. That's healthy's not the issue. They're healthy. It's just he doesn't play them. I and I I will never understand. You know, there's there's always the the, you know, in your average NCAA basketball school, there's always going to be the odd year where you're short on numbers, whether people are transferring out, whether you have injuries or whatever the case may be, you're gonna be short on numbers. Mike Bray wants to be short on numbers. He doesn't ever really want to go past seven. You know, five starters, two on the bench, maybe eight. And that's a stretch most of the time, but that's on him. That's who, that's who he wants to be. That's not, that's not a, he's not a victim of circumstance. He's a victim of what he wants. He's got all these other guys at the other end of the bench that he recruited to Notre Dame. I mean, he's not playing them.
1: Right. And I mean, he looks at it as a developmental thing, you know, like when it's your time, you know, you'll be ready and all this stuff. But at the same time, when you're playing with this few guys, to begin with and you've got these guys who have been here for a couple of years and you're playing Pottsville U to start off your you know your non-conference season uh, you know they played a bunch of teams that the scores should not been should not have been as close as they ended up you should have been able to get some of these guys out there and gotten them into real games for developmental well, purposes now and- again you know just like with others you know it's still like he sees these guys in practice so he has a better idea of what he has than we do, but that also still comes back to him because right. he signs off on the recruiting of, of whoever he's and got. And he's brought the these
2: guys in, like you said, from a recruiting standpoint, right? And then he recruits over them because the last few years he's played a bunch of freshmen, right? He, I mean, last year he had Blake Wesley. This mm-hmm. year he, he plays predominantly two freshmen.
1: And Vin Allen Lubin, yeah. He
2: plays those guys all the time. He's recruited over the guys that are supposedly, you know, maturing and all of that stuff so it's like he's even gone away from the way he used to do things and still only goes seven deep on the bench like I don't know man I just I just don't get it
1: yeah okay a super chat from Brock what's up with Josh Pate saying Buckner will transfer I don't know who Josh Pate is you're gonna have to help me out with that with that, I was gonna ask uh, you that. <laughs> also why so eerily quiet on sam hartman could he be reconsidering with nil possibility the second part that's easy i know brian said from day one that like hartman wasn't expected to visit until the middle of this week correct once Thursday. he gets here it could happen pretty quickly yeah right. so like he's gonna be yeah he's gonna be on campus potentially tomorrow as long as that all goes right. the way it's supposed and to. that was yeah.
2: always the way the plan was that he it's not because you Know it's not because he's you know rethinking things, he's not allowed on campus per NCAA rules until now, so yeah. that's that's why. Number one, now this Josh Pate guy apparently he's part of 247 sports. Okay, he why in the world would he have any kind of inside knowledge on what uh Tyler Buckner is going to be doing? Is he a beat guy with Notre Dame that we've never even heard of? You know, he he's it's called clickbait. Right? He's not transferring. Tyler's not transferring. As of right now, he is not transferring. So I don't know where Josh Pate gets his information, but to me, it sounds like clickbait.
1: DT says Josh is a good media guy, but people are reading way too much into this. And, you know, like, you know, I haven't heard again, it. That's the other part of yeah, it. Yeah. I this haven't is the heard the first exactly time I've, I've heard of said. this. So, yeah. I don't know. That's all I can say about it. I just, I, it, I don't get the impression that it's going to happen. I get the impression that, that Buckner is going to stay and uh, and compete for a job. But
2: Right. Me too. And even if he loses out, we, we had a good discussion on this today. Even if he loses the job for 23, he's still going to have two years of eligibility after next year. Why would he leave and, and, and not have the opportunity to start at Notre Dame for two years? I, I don't. Maybe he would. But I, the path to stay at Notre Dame, have another year in the offense, have a role in the offense next year even, even though Sam Hartman would be the the starting quarterback or whoever it is, why would you leave? I just don't, I don't see the point. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. I mean, Sam Hartman had to miss part of this season as well, you know, with the whole. Good call. But, you know, it's like Tyler Buckner was hurt this year. That's why we got to see so much of drew pine just because you're not the starter doesn't mean you know you can still end up playing so i
2: I don't see tyler buckner cutting and running i just i don't either and maybe i'm wrong and if i'm wrong i'll say it but i just don't see it
1: stymie says tb is tommy's guy we'll see (laughs) maybe i
2: mean we'll see if he's tommy's guy that means he's gonna start next year (laughs) you know I don't think Tommy's married to anybody. I think Tommy's married to winning personally.
1: Yeah, Which is what every coach should be married to. Absolutely. Gavin wants to know what we think will be the most hostile environment Notre Dame plays in next year. I can't see any being more hostile than Clemson. That I don't, would like, be my I don't even know if there's pick. a close second. <laughs> that
2: would be my pick well as well because Ohio State is at home. Uh, the right. USC is at home. Right. You know. There's they're going really to stanford
1: no, that ain't gonna be no
2: nope. the farm is not a hostile. any place it's called the farm is not yeah. gonna be hostile Sorry. there is an
1: opposite of hostile in college football yes it is stanford
2: yes so yeah i don't uh, i don't see that being the case so yeah it'll be clemson for sure yeah
1: all right a lot of good questions a lot of good questions tonight.
2: today thanks everybody for bringing the heat. Yeah.